Okay, this morning is Sunday morning. It's November 19th, 2006. This is the week of Thanksgiving. And so our message this morning is Thanksgiving, lifestyle or an event. All over the country this week, people are going to talk about things that they're thankful for. And that is a wonderful thing. I'm glad we have that emphasis. But I'm curious if it doesn't seem a little hypocritical to the heavenlies to see people thankful on one day, mostly about the football games that are going to come on, and live a lifestyle of doubt and disappointment and discouragement. What the Hebrew Bible teaches us, we're going to get into today, Matt sang about. That's all I love when the worship songs flow with our message the way that these did. We bless your name, Lord. Whether you give and take away, even when the darkness closes in, I still choose to bless your name. That's exactly what the Hebrews taught is that everything in the creation God had created and declared it to be good on the day that He created it. On the day He created man, He said it is very good. And in that sense, you could bless Him for anything that happened. Isn't that neat? What a, what a, I found out just in a secular sense, it's easier to endure hard than a frown. I mean, it really is. I'm not teaching you the power of positive thought. I'm teaching you about the power of praise and praise where it's deserved. Turn with me to Leviticus 22. Think about this for Thanksgiving week. Leviticus 22, starting in 29. Y'all tell me when you're there. All right. of you are there. Devin, you didn't... Uh, you got it memorized, don't you, brother? <laughs> I love you. You listen, I read. How about that? When you sacrifice a thank offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It must be eaten the same day. Leave none of it till morning. I am the Lord. Keep my commands and follow them. I am the Lord. Do not profane my holy name. I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. I am the Lord who makes you holy and who brought you out of Egypt to the Lord, your God. When you're trying to make an offering, it is a thank offering before God. There is a way that it needs to be done. One of the things that me the most about this, I'm going to read you another one out of Deuteronomy. And he said, hey, you can't... Friends, that's of being thankful today. Yesterday's offering won't do. What you've done today won't work tomorrow. It's kind of like the manna principle. It all turns to worms. The Bible encourages us not to view thankfulness or thanksgiving as an event, but as an entire... And there's a reason for that. How can you God when something happens? Because... Verse... And what better way to show Him trust, to show Him than to praise His great name, even when things aren't going your way. I'm kind of partial to this pulpit. I, I, I mean, I like it. You ever made something that you're just happy with? I'm particularly partial about this little board right here. You know what's special about this board versus all of the other boards here? Huh? I had to cut this one, so I had to cut them all. But this one's smaller than the rest, isn't it? Uh-huh. I cut about half my thumb off when I was uh, 
when I was making that. Yeah, in fact, my thumb's just now recovered to where I can snap. Still can't snap and beat, but I can snap. One of the reasons that I am so happy about that little board is every time I walk in here, I think about, I had just been studying this blessing principle, this principle of thanksgiving. To the point of absurdity, I mean, there were some Jews, the principle of thanksgiving and blessings to the point of, I know this sounds crass, but for the Talmud speaks about it. Every time they, they said, bless you, Lord, that you've made me able to do this. Because in kidney infection, bladder infections, and all various kinds of stones could prevent that from happening with great pain, they were very happy that they could do that. Now, you could see how anything could become rote memorization and mundane and just religious liturgy. But it was teaching an attitude. And when a big piece of my thumb flew off and hit the fence, because of what we put in ourselves, and I had been feeding myself something good, what came out of my mouth was, bless you, Lord, that I didn't cut off the whole thing. Now, I'll tell you, at the time, it didn't feel much like a blessing. I was concerned whether or not I'd be able to use it again. I drove to Matthew's house with a trail of blood almost the whole way. Left no note for my wife. I couldn't figure out how to write it. And we prayed. We prayed about what to do. Now, I was hoping for the instantaneous healing. We all. And that's not how it happened. It happened that it healed slowly, but it healed. I have almost my whole fingerprint back. Pretty excited about that. And it's a principle. The painful things in our life we need to learn to bless God for. In some way they shape you. In some way they remake you. I learned to hammer in those last few nails left-handed. How about that? God will teach you through everything. I found out that if you teach people who they are in Christ, if you teach people the position that they hold in Christ, you don't have to teach them what to do. See, I am all about learning who we are as children of the King in the kingdom so that I don't have to teach you the particulars of we do this and we don't do that. I don't want to reduce this that we lead to a simple list of do's and don'ts, rule upon rule. I don't want it to become some childish sing-song religion that people justify themselves simply by what they do not do. Well, we are Christians. We don't blah, 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 blah. Now, that's great. You have no you have no life in you, and there's nothing about you that I would want to imitate, but good for you. You don't do a lot of stuff. I don't want that. And what I found out is if you teach people who they are and what's inside them and what's been lavished upon them, certain things are simply unbecoming of you. You don't have to be told not to do them. Do you have to tell the President of the United States to go grovel in a dumpster for food? No, it's just beneath him. He doesn't have to do that. He's the President. Well, you are children of the King. So we won't give you a list of things not to do. We're going to teach you who you are, who you are in Christ. And some things you'll find out you enjoy, and other things you'll find out are beneath you. Does that make sense to you? Turn with me to Deuteronomy 10. You don't mind that we read from the Older Testament all the time? I hope not. This is the only book Jesus read from. New Testament Christians, huh? New Testament. We want New Testament. New Testament. It wasn't even codified to the year 200. The 
apostles didn't have a New Testament. They were writing it. So when they wanted to know how to do something, what to do, how do we handle this, when they met in Jerusalem and had a council on what do we do with these Gentiles, how did they settle their disputes? They went to the standard that was the Word of God, the Older Testament. No part of it was inactive, inoperable, or cut off. They saw it as vivacious and full of life. In fact, they wrote their New Testament revelation straight out of the Old, quoting from it constantly. We need to develop a faith that learns to look into the Older Testament to see in it the life that you're supposed to have. In Deuteronomy 10, starting in verse 12, I love these kind of Scriptures. It says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. I want you to get this through your heads. I'm working to get it through my head. Anything that the Lord ever tells you to do is for your good. Say, but Lord, it's painful. Lord, it's hard. Lord, it's difficult. It's for your good. There is nothing that the Lord will allow to come into your life that ultimately will not work for your good. Romans 8.28 teaches that about a whole nation. God is able to work in anything that comes into your life for good. That ought to breed a thankful attitude. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, everything in it. Everything in the earth belongs to God. If it's God's, it's good. Let's just say that. If it's God's, it's good. You've heard that no sin will dwell in the presence of God? We don't need to think of inanimate objects as evil. Evil is to do something other than the will of the Lord. A painting, right? The author could have had an evil intent, but the painting itself is not evil. A rock of an ugly thing, a statue of an ugly thing. The artist could have had an evil intent and tried to display something evil, but the statue itself is not evil. I knew someone that had a coffee table owned by Adolf Hitler. And they were all freaked out by it when they got to be a Christian. And I understand that. I threw away everything in my house when I became a Christian too. They said, oh, they, as a Christian, couldn't own anything like that. Anybody got any money in your pocket right now? Where's that been? What's been snorted through it? What has it paid for? Whose life did it harm? You don't have a problem having that in your pocket. Oh, well, it's different. It's money. It's what that object represents. You as a Christian ought to take it, own it, and make it represent something else. I'm not telling you to go buy Adolf Hitler's furniture. I'm telling you that everything that God created can be used for good. Is the Internet used for horrible things? Is it? Absolutely. You know what else it's used for? To get the gospel out around the world. It's the mature view that takes that, looks at it, and doesn't define it only as evil and horrible and every Christian should get it out of their house. You should look and say, what would God intend us to do with this? That's the mature view. It's not what we're teaching on, though. Verse 15, Yet the Lord set His affection on your forefathers and loved them, and He chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts 
no brides. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food. And God's a God who can't be bought off. He won't sell you out for the favor of His friends. He'll take the lowest member of society, widows, orphans, aliens, and defend them against the noble. That's the kind of God we serve. He's mighty among all the spiritual powers. He's a God great and awesome above all others. Isn't that true? Isn't that awesome? Doesn't something in there just ring inside of you? How good is our God? And you are to love those who are aliens. For you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Speaking of the lowest member of society, the foreigner who has no rights, he's reminding us where we came from. Fear the Lord your God and serve Him. Hold fast to Him and take your oaths in His name. He is your praise. He is what? Well, I just don't feel like praise today. Well, do you feel like God? He is your praise. It's not optional. What is God? He's to be your praise. That's why David says, Why is my soul downcast? He says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Yet will I think upon the Lord and the good things He has done for me. My thoughts will rise to Zion, he said. Sound like a schizophrenic. He looked at himself and said, Why on earth am I down? I'm not going to allow this. God is my praise. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Come on. Few of you women ought to be nodding your head. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Sometimes harder than others, yes? And yet the Word tells us to do it. Hard or not hard? Well, you just don't have any compassion. I have compassion. I know exactly what it's like to try with all my heart and yet fail. That does not alleviate me from the need to try. The Word tells us to do something and God will give us the power to do it. He is our praise. He is your praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. In this we find a formula. Now I'm very nervous because I don't write on the board and I have a teacher in my presence here today. And another two, a preacher and a a teacher and a principal. Well, I want to write some things on the board for you. Okay? There are three things you can get from that. First, he teaches us to walk in his ways. He tells us what he does. And the walk in his ways. You see, at the very first part of Deuteronomy here, he says, And now, Israel, what does your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God and walk in his ways? tells you to walk in His ways. This whole passage is about what does God want from you? Number one, He wants you to walk in His ways. You might even say He wants you to imitate Him. He wants you to be godlike. Or did you think that Christian was just a type? He wants you to act like He acts. Another thing He said, He sets His affection on your forefathers. He loves He chose you. He wants you to know that you were specially selected. How do we live a life of thanksgiving? We're specially selected. And you have to remember where you came from. Same time he says, man, I chose you out of all of the nations. He says, remember, you were once an alien the lowest member of society, but I chose you. 
That's special, isn't it? Third thing out of this passage I want you to get, I'm going to leave these up here, is He is your praise. When we go to Thanksgiving this year, the event, not the lifestyle, we're going to learn about something that should carry us through all the year long. These three things that God commanded Israel to do, to imitate Him, to know about their special calling and remember where they came from, and in every situation remember that God was their praise or a recipe for a life of thanksgiving. Charlotte gave me a good word here the other day. She said, gratitude should not be the first thing that fails. Why is it so often we are excited, awesome, God did great things, and next week we can't remember that He did them for us? We need to imitate God in everything that we do. To do that, you have to learn about Him. Once you understand who you are, that you are called to be like God, never do you have to focus on the do's and don'ts. You just do what God would do in the situation. That's freedom. That's a relationship. That's awesome because you find out God's not confined in a list of rules. Somebody show me the Old Testament precedent for Jesus spitting a loogie in the mud and making a man's eyeballs. Oh, you can't. Then did Jesus do something unscriptural? Did He? No. The Word of God's expressed in many passages about opening the eyes of the blinds. God will accomplish His will in your life through ways you couldn't begin to imagine. If He wants Gabriel to go to Marble Falls for a time of testing, encouragement, strengthening, all those things, He'll put in His vision something get Him to go. God's not stupid. He will hang, That's an understatement, isn't it? He'll hang a carrot in front of your face that will drive you. And if that doesn't work, He will poke you with prods to redirect you. Paul, Paul, why do you kick against the bricks? Actually, it was Saul, Saul. He was yet to become Paul, Paul. He'll put whatever it takes to drive you where you need to go. On this walking in His ways. Well, before we get there, turn to Chronicles 16. When's the last time you read from Chronicles? Wow, there's not an overwhelming response there, huh? Is that because there's nothing good in it? The first. Chronicles. First Chronicles 16. In 1 Chronicles 16, we find something. You remember in Deuteronomy 10, we saw how we walk in His ways, how we are specially selected, and how He is our praise. 1 Chronicles 16, David has installed the ark on top of Zion. And now he goes about picking out people based on their talents, their abilities, their... Wow, you can play a harp. I want you to do this. Oh, you play a flute. I want you to do this. And he had praise on this mountain 24 hours a day, day and night. He rolled up the sides of the tabernacle so that every nation that went by the Mount of God, Zion, could see the glory of God because he understood that he was supposed to be shining the light of the Lord. And you thought that was a New Testament theme, didn't you? There is nothing that Jesus taught on that is not founded in the Older Testament. Listen to what he says in verse 7. That day David first committed to Asaph and his associates this psalm of thanks to the Lord. I love this. David's a warrior, right? I mean, he cut off Goliath's head and carried it around like a trophy. He brought back, well, we won't talk about it, big price for Micah, daughter of Saul. 
David did horrible bloody things. Fought with the enemies of God knee-deep in the trenches. And yet he could worship God and soar into His presence. And not just a worship like a worshiper, but a worship leader. He appoints these men based on their talents, just like Jesus do to different callings. And then He tells them what He wants them to sing. Matt, that ought to make you feel better about directing people in worship, huh? Listen to what He says. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on His name. Make known among the nations what He has done. Sing to Him. Sing praise to Him. Tell of all of His wonderful acts. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. Do you hear a little bit of walking in His ways in that? Why are you seeking Him and looking for strength? To be like Him. Remember the wonders that He has done. His miracles and the judgments He pronounced. O descendants of Israel, servant, His servant. O sons of Jacob, His chosen ones. Do you hear a little bit of specially selected in that? And you have a whole lot of praise in that, don't you? Now, this song goes on and on. You should read it sometime. Very good. There's a reason David had them start their worship of God with this psalm that he wrote. It contains all of the elements that Deuteronomy and Leviticus tell us praise to God should contain. Another one, a familiar one. Micah 6, 8. Can anybody quote it? Everybody's quiet. Micah 6, 8. God requires you, you, O man, to walk humbly, to act justly, and to love mercy. Do you not hear a little bit of walk in His ways, specially selected, and He's your praise in that? Of course you do. This is a theme throughout the Word that teaches us how to live a lifestyle of thanksgiving rather than look turkey day each year as an event. That really people are worshiping at the idol of football. Our lives are supposed to be days of thanksgiving. And that comes from being firmly rooted in knowing just who you are just what God is to you and doing your best to imitate Him in every way. Let's talk about walking ways. Turn with me to John 14. Tell me when you're there. That grows fast. John 14. I'm going to start in verse 23. If anyone loves me, this is Jesus speaking, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Take out your black highlighter. Cross that right out. You know what this says in the Greek? Anybody? It says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. It says the same thing that it does in English. There's no translation error here. There's no ambiguity. There's no vagueness in which God is trying to trick you or trap you. Jesus is saying that He equates obedience to His Word with love. In other words, love to Him is very much an action, not just an emotion. One of the things that we need to learn to do is imitate God by imitating His teaching. What did Deuteronomy tell you He liked to do? Well, He liked to defend widows. He liked to defend orphans. He refused to be swayed by a bride. He cared for the aliens, the lowest in society. So what Christians, what what are we to do? Anytime you see injustice, anytime you see oppression, we should be seeking to do something about it through the power of prayer, through kind words, through actions, through deeds. Whoever taught us and why that our job is to sit on a pew and write checks? 
Oh, I know who taught us that and why. It builds big churches with nice gymnasiums and hollow souls. I love gymnasiums. I love big churches. I like to have one. But I want it built in the people, not in the facade that is the building. We need to learn to imitate God. Listen what else he says here. It's good stuff. My Father will love him and we will come to Him and make our home with Him. You want to abide with God? You want Jesus present in your life? You want Jesus with the Father making their home inside of you? With you? Dwelling with you? Do what He tells you to do. And was it hard? Walk humbly, act justly, love mercy. Walk in His ways. Understand your special selection and praise Him in all situations? Is that really that hard? Is that a long list of rules? What church has said as their doctrinal statement? Oh, none? wonder why. We want to make things so complicated. Aren't there cleaner rivers I could go bathe in at home? Do I really have to go down into that Jordan? That seems too simple. I think I'll go back home with my leprosy. What's God looking for from you? He wants you to know that He's a king that deserves praise. He wants you to know how special you are to Him, and then He wants you to do the kind of things that He does. You know, what, you know what's funny is when you start to do this, you stand out. <laughs> it is strange. When you talk about a moving day, tell the truth. Even your closest relatives run, don't they? I saw a bumper sticker yesterday. It said, yes, this is my ch- and no, I will not help you move. <laughs> Matt and I were joking about it. Somebody who loves me for my benefit switched vehicles with me. And I gave up a 2005 Mustang for a 2000 Chevy Silverado, and it's been good because I can do the work of God in it. I've had that thing five times, and I think we've moved about 15 times. And that seems strange, doesn't it? But let me ask you something. What do you think Jesus would be doing? Think he'd be hanging out in some stone-cold cathedral somewhere talking about how holy he was? Or do you think he'd be helping people in the trenches? Saints, we need to adopt lifestyles that do what Jesus would do. Not because we're holy, because he's holy. Following his example. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Get your black highlighter again. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Why does the Holy Spirit remind you of Jesus' words? So you can do them. So you can obey them. In the charismatic world, we think that the Holy Spirit is our personal cheerleader. He's here so that you can do neat things in a church service. Look, I love that you speak in tongues. I love even more that you prophesy. I think that it is great that you're charismatic. But if that stops at this door, what good is it? Well, it's a start. That's what good it is. But what we're looking for is to perform outside these walls what you've been practicing in here. You got an encouraging word for the brothers? Fantastic! Let's find an encouraging word for your enemies. See, that's where I want to go. I want to go find those that nobody else wants and talk to them about them being specially selected. I want to show them how to praise God. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. 
I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. Golly, underline that. Do not be afraid. Bumper stickers everywhere say no fear and what a lie that is. This world is full of fear. Scared to death of what people think of you all of the time. Most of the world hates God, but they would never admit it. Their actions tell us that. You know, funny statistic. 90% of Americans say that they're going to a place called heaven or some afterlife place that is positive in nature. Isn't that neat? 90%. have serious doubts about their neighbors. What does that tell you? 90% of the people say, I'm going to heaven. But 53% say, not sure about him, though. What does that tell you? The deed does not match the creed. Doesn't that tell you that? When you believe you're okay, but everybody around you looks at your life and says, not so sure he's okay. What does that tell you? I want to learn to imitate God. You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what the Father has commanded." During this phase of learning to walk in His ways, Jesus has set a perfect example for us. What does it mean that the prince of this world is coming for Him? He's going to face a horrible death by crucifixion. And yet He says, the world's going to learn that I love the Father. I do exactly what's commanded. How does the world learn that you love the Father? How do you live a life of thanksgiving? You do exactly what He shows you to do. In every difficult situation, and you do it knowing that you are specially selected, and you do it knowing that He is your praise, and people will see it, and they will be drawn to you like moths to a flame because they haven't seen it before. What they've seen is people wearing crosses. They've seen people wearing religious garb. They've seen people acting very holy, but very short on deeds. What is it when we say we don't do this, we don't do this, we don't do this, and we believe these 27 things, but no, we would never help you move? Well, there's a little parable about a and a tax collector in there. we we'll to read that sometime, huh? On this note of doing exactly what it does, turn with me to Matthew 28. I'm going to read this to you out of the Jewish Bible. I say the Jewish Bible. Every Bible we have is Jewish. But this one is a translation that emphasizes and leaves some of the Jewish terms and concepts intact. Not quite so Hellenized. Look at verse 18. Yeshua came and talked with them. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, in... Oh, and make people from all nations into telemedim. What's your translation say? Disciples. Immersing them into the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I will be with you always, yes, even unto the end of the age. The reason Jesus 
said that is because in Deuteronomy 31, before Israel went into the promised land, God had promised them the very same thing. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you always. What were the disciples or the apostles at this point supposed to go out and do? They go out, are supposed to go out and teach people to imitate their way of life. A disciple. In English we say, oh, somebody who's a disciple is somebody who sits under discipline. Jesus didn't speak English. That's not what a disciple is. That's a tiny little part of what a disciple is. This Hebrew Bible says, Talmudim. This is Hebrew for disciples. And the Hebrew concept has a lot more to do with an adherent to a particular way of life. One who follows another teaching. Hear this one. One who is being instructed for the express purpose of being like his teacher. Why are you learning in church to be just like Jesus? The last definition that I had for Talmudim was a pupil who is an imitator of his teacher. When Jesus says, I want you to go into all of the nations and teach them what I have taught you, specifically the commands that I taught you. How interesting is that? Where they come from? The book of the law. He said, and teach them to obey. Where's that been in the gospel message? They will know we are Christians by what we do, saints, not what we believe. They will know who truly believe when they see you doing it. A life of thanksgiving is one that walks in His ways. In Romans 1.5, he says, I have been called as an apostle to the Gentiles to call people into the faith that produces obedience. You say you have faith? How did James say you'll show it? By what you do. 1 Corinthians 4, 13-17, Paul tells the Corinthian church, listen, when I come to you, I don't want to be so harsh. You need to imitate my way of life as I imitate Jesus. It was not enough for people who said they believed simply to believe. They needed to learn to imitate it in their lifestyles. Hebrews 6 teaches us the same thing. Hebrews 13 teaches us the same thing. In John's third letter, in the 11th verse, he says, look, you need to imitate me as I imitate Jesus. They heard the message and they went out and they taught it and their message included obedience. You want to show that you're thankful? Be obedient. Do what He would do in that situation. Don't see it as optional. The next thing was that you were specially selected. I couldn't wait to get to this part of the message. Turn with me to Luke 18. Right right here in the middle where y'all can see this. What's that word? Can y'all read my writing? Pope. You're not going to believe we said this in church. How irreverent. What's that word? Pope and pimp. That doesn't mean what you think it means. I'm not calling the Pope a pimp. Is that shocking, though, to hear that in church? Pope and pimp? To hear that in church? Shocking? It is, isn't it? Even in this new age where pimp's thrown around all the time, you know? It's, a, it's even a term of compliment to some of these young guys. Oh, so-and-so's a pimp. That was hard for me. As I heard that, I thought, 
What exactly does that mean? Thank God for the contributions of rap to our society, right? Makes you wonder if they're missing a letter from that name. Um, It's shocking. I meant for it to be shocking. Pope and pimp. You know why? Because this parable read is shocking. Look at Luke 18, starting in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. In the last 2,000 years, we've been taught that a Pharisee is somebody who's a hypocrite. In the last 2,000 years, we've been taught that Pharisees are self-righteous. Since the year 1600, Protestants have been taught the Pope's bad too, right? Right? I lived in South Louisiana. When you say Pope there, it's a term of honor, distinction, the embodiment of holiness to the people who hold Him in that light. You have to consider the cultural context when we read this. No Jew had ever considered that a Pharisee was a bad person. No Jew had ever considered that the term Pharisee was derogatory. Jesus is telling them a story about an exalted religious leader and the lowest member of society, one of the lowest, tax collector. He's telling them the story about somebody who is obviously assumed righteous and somebody who would never be considered righteous. Do you understand the sharp contrast, the irony there? I bet the original audience even chuckled as he began to say it. Just like when I say Pope and Pimp, you begin to chuckle. You think, what is he talking about? The sharp contrast is even humorous in that way. Two men went to the temple to pray. What is the temple to the Jewish people? Man, this is the place you go bring a sacrifice. If not a sacrifice for your sin, a sacrifice of thank offering. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank You that I am not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Friends, this was shocking to them. The same way if I told you the Pope himself was in here, and you were all Roman Catholic, and he was praying, but he left unjustified before God. But we had a notorious pimp in here, and he was praying, and he received mercy of God and left justified, right in God's presence. This was shocking to them. And it was done to teach a principle. The Jews teach about the intention of a heart. They call it kavana. K-A-V-A-N-A-H. Kavana. Emphasis is on the last syllable, but I have a hard time saying it. What they meant was the concentration of your heart, the inward direction. And Jesus was teaching that two people can be in the same place. Two people can be saying words to God but the inward direction of their heart what determines how they are justified. I tell you to the topic of specially selected. The other part of this, we're going to read in the last verse, is trying to teach us all. It's not those who are outwardly holy 
that God is looking for. He's looking for those who are inwardly desirous of Him. And He will specially select, select them whether or not society agrees with Him or not. This is why Jesus hung out with undesirable people. It's why David, when he came into his kingship, all of the undesirables came to him. These were shadows and types of you. Who needed... This is a trick. Who needed God more, the Pharisee or the tax collector? Oh, y'all scared to answer. I told you it was a trick question. Let's imagine that somebody said the Pharisee, right? Isn't that what we think? That's not what the story's about. The shocking value of this story is that they both needed God equally. Which is the point. This is the point. All of us need the mercy of God and all of us were specially selected. Each one of us was a divine choice for God to accept us. That ought to make you feel a certain way about God. Shouldn't it? How about it? Sorry, Mom. Turn with me to Matthew 11. Kavana, your inward direction of your heart when you pray. In Matthew 11, starting in verse 5. No. Yeah. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father. In the King James, most of these words where it says, I praise you, is I bless you. Have you run into that kind of contradiction? How do we bless God? Because Hebrew says, without a doubt, the greater blessing the lesser. Do you bless God? The reason the NIV and so many other Bible translations have chosen to translate this word, which is Baruch, into uh, praise, is because you're not bestowing God with something that He needs. He simply accepts praise from you when you say, blessed be your name. You're praising how great He is. So Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned. How does He address Lord of heaven and earth, where did you hear that? The Jews prayed. They prayed Malak Olam, which was king of the universe. That's how they thought of God. Now, if God universe and the earth is in His kingdom and His kingdom is constantly being established and you're critical of things in the earth. Oh, how dirty that is. How bad that is. How horrible this is. I can't wait to leave this king earth behind. Have you ever heard that one? About His kingdom. The Jews saw a valid expression of praising God praising for all of the things in His kingdom. We'll teach more about that in a minute. Yes, Father, for this good pleasure. Verse 27. All things have been committed to Me, Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. If you have a revelation of who God is, if you have some semblance of contact with the divine, it could only come one way. Jesus began to reveal Him to you, and that was a choice. You were chosen by God. It's so funny. We look back over our lives and we think, well, I ended up in this state because mom or dad lost a job. I ended up in this state because so-and-so had a break in relationship and now we're here. I was in this grade because of this. Those are all of the reasons that you thought you were where you were. God worked through His prodding. 
through his hanging carrots out there in front of you, through whatever it was, because his goal, like 17.26 says, is to get you to reach out and find him, though he's not far from you. He wants to reveal himself to you. Walking with God is learning about his ways. Part is understanding how you were selected. The reason I told you about the Pharisee and the tax collector is because whether you were the tax collector or the Pharisee, you needed God when He found you. We need to remember where we came from. That will give us mercy for everybody that we come into contact with. And not just where we came from the day we were saved, where you came from yesterday when you had to teshubah, which is the Hebrew word for repent. This keeps you from being high and exalted. We want to understand how special we are, but we want to mix that with a feeling of humility that anything that is in us, God has done. I didn't read that last verse out of the other parable. It said that God will humble those who exalt themselves, but He will exalt those who humble themselves. What an awesome principle. You know who learned that one first and foremost, right in front of the whole world? Nebuchadnezzar. His last words in the Bible recorded are, God is able to abase the proud. He was the king of the known world and God had him eat on his hands and knees like an animal in a field. But he got the message in the end. Whatever I am, God's given me. Praise you, God. He issued a decree that nobody should blaspheme God. He got the message. Watch this. No one knows the Son. I choose just to reveal Him. Verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Who's supposed to come to Jesus? All who are weary and burdened. So look to your left and right. How did you guys get here? You were weary and burdened. But after He relieves you of that burden, it's hard. I mean, you, I can't believe so-and-so so steeped in that. <laughs> yeah. Let's roll back the tape a little bit. And I will give you rest. What does Jesus do? Jesus is in the business of finding those with great need and giving them rest. You were specially selected. Not because you deserved Him, but because you needed Him. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke in this day was the teaching of a rabbi. It shouldn't be surprising to you who have been in this church a while that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. He taught like a rabbi. He acted like a rabbi. And people addressed Him and treated Him like a rabbi. Most of the harsh discussions that He had with other religious leaders were the same kind of harsh discussions they were having with each other. Isn't it funny? Another church who really love Jesus, in this church where we really love Jesus, we can come into the sharpest of distinction over a small point in the Word, right? But we'll absolutely unite against abortion. Huh? We'll absolutely unite against some blatantly evil threat. Jesus was hardest on the people that were also entrusted with teaching Israel. It's still the same. Still the same with religious leaders. And what, he's, what a yoke was, is a yoke was the rabbi's way of life. It was what he taught and how he lived his teaching. It was his yoke, his mantle that he bore. And what Jesus is saying is, guys, you need to come to me. You can wear what I'm wearing. You can live out this way of life. You can do it. 
Bet Sefer is the house of the book. I've taught you about this before in a message called, What a Ham. Bet Sefer is the house of the book. All Jewish children in the first century went to the house of the book. Went between the ages of six and ten, and on their first day of class, they were given a tablet. And the tablet was made of a wafer that was out of and it was covered in honey from dates. And after eating the commands of the Lord, they were to eat it to see that it was sweet because God wanted all of those who had been specially selected to develop a sweet taste for God's Word so that they could walk in His ways. That's what He wanted. You graduated from Beth Sefer. To do that, you had memorized the first five books of the Bible. Memorized. I would say that that probably places most of us at failures before we reach the age 10. Then they go to middle school, Bet Talmud, the house of learning. This is from ages about 10 to 14. During this time, they memorized the entire Old Testament, or else they dropped out and went home as religious failures, but as successful Jews. They went home to learn a trade. Not everybody passed the first house, Bet Sefer. Certainly, most did not pass Bet Talmud. A tiny little percentage went on to Bet Midrash, which was the house of study. This is where you learn to be a Talmudim, an imitator of your rabbi. The goal was not simply to learn the Word. The goal was not simply to learn what the rabbi taught. You had to be accepted into this school. You interviewed, and you had to be accepted. So the fact that you had the Bible memorized was not enough. When this rabbi met with you and he considered his yoke, his way of life, he looked at you to determine whether or not it was within your ability to be like him. Gamaliel was one such rabbi. Paul was deemed, after having memorized the Old Testament, to have it within his ability to be like Gamaliel. An honor that probably one and maybe 30 Israelites had in their lifetime. You understand what a small percentage we're talking about? What a great honor. You had to be chosen by a rabbi. You had to have been deemed to have the raw skill and ability to be like Him, or He wouldn't choose you because you couldn't carry His yoke. You'd go out and represent Him poorly. Turn with me to John 15. Jesus invited people to come and wear His yoke. That was shocking to the people in the day. Great Rabbi Jesus is going to let people carry His yoke? That should have been an honor reserved to no more than 30 Israelites. And in John 15, starting in verse 9, As the Father has loved Me, so have I loved you. Now remain in My love. If you obey My commands, you will remain in My love. Just as I have obeyed My Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that My joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. This was an honor that most Israelites would never find that a rabbi would choose them. Where were Peter and John found? Where Peter and Andrew and then James and John found? Where was Matthew found? All of these men were found in their trades. Do you know what that meant? That meant they failed out of religious school. They didn't make it in the Jewish yeshiva system. They couldn't memorize. They couldn't keep up intellectually. They just couldn't cut it. There was no great dishonor in that. Most Israelites couldn't. It was only the special elite that could go and learn from a rabbi and take his yoke. And yet, what did Jesus do? He went and found the ones that nobody else would take and selected them. Why did He select them? Because He believed they had what it took to imitate Him. His yoke was easy. His burden was light because the Father helped Him do it. Because the Spirit would help you. All you needed to do is put one foot in front of you when He told you to. To stop when He said stop. He would be in there coaching you, teaching you. This is the leading of the Spirit. How special we are. Isn't that awesome? Can you walk in His ways? He'll be right there coaching you, teaching you to do it just like He did. The last section is He is your praise. This is how we get to Thanksgiving, a lifestyle, not an event. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. You all tired? Want me to shut up so we can leave? First Corinthians, forgive me for my sarcasm. I know you didn't want me to shut up so you could leave. Look at verse 23. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good but should seek the good of others. Boy, that's a good rule in life and conversation and everything. Could it be true to tell me I got on an ugly shirt? Yeah. Is that constructive? It might be. But probably not. Not everything that you know that's true needs to be said every time. You remember that commercial? It's about toothpaste. What color's the wall? Yellow. What color's this book? Brown. What color are my teeth? Opaque. Mother of pearl. <laughs> She's looking for white. She didn't get the right answer. Not everything that you know that is true needs to be said. Okay? Moving on, though. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. What did it say? Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. Why? For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Where does that thought come from? you have a footnote? Psalm 24. Psalm 24. It taught that. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. I don't need to go into the culture. I'm not talking about food. 
what I want you to get is that the Jewish view is everything in the earth was the Lord's. So He could be praised for it. In fact, in your praising Him about anything in the earth, what you were really doing was acknowledging Him as your King. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 8. You'll get used to turning to Deuteronomy. You'll even wear out a place in your book here. In Deuteronomy 8, look at verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied. I want you to hear that. When you are eaten and satisfied. Have you ever had a hang-up that uh, too much food was bad? It's like everything else. You can push food to the point where it is bad, to where you have to have a crane lower you in and out of your house. But God wanted you to be able to eat and be satisfied. A full stomach is considered a blessing in the Bible. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise, that word is Baruch, bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. What you are doing when you eat, we're not supposed to pray before we eat. We're not supposed to pray that this unclean food would be made clean so that it doesn't make us sick. We're not supposed to pray that it would bless to the nourishment of our bodies. I say we're not supposed to. That's not right. That's not the biblical type. You can do it. There's no harm in it. You can throw holy water on it. You can dance across the table. You can stand on your head and do push-ups if you want. I'm sure God will honor it all He has in my life all these years I've been doing it wrong. What the biblical type is, is that you eat and then you thank the King of the universe for bringing the bread out brown and the grape juice out of the and all of those things. And the Jews talked about this constantly. They thanked Him as a way to acknowledge His kingship, His worship. And what they did was it made them praise. They praised Him in every area. Jews acknowledged His kingship in a variety of ways. Flip the page to Deuteronomy 6.4. Listen to this. 6.4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I call that in Hebrew. What is prayer called? The Shema. Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Ehad. This is saying, Lord, You are the one. You are the one above everything else. Do you know that the Jews actually taught about this? When you're praying and you want to pray the Shema, wherever you are in the world, whether laying on the ground, whether you're running, whether you're riding a horse, whatever it is, you must stop, stand to your feet, look toward heaven, and acknowledge God when you say the Shema. You know why? Because you are acknowledging the presence of a great king in your life. You, Lord, you above everybody else, you are the one. It's you, you are Lord, the owner and controller of everything. He said, now when you move past that line, you can go continue walking because the Word goes on to say when you walk along the roads, talk about the commands. When you wake up, when you lay down, when you go in and out of your house, all this should be on your mind. But when they prayed the Shema, they wanted to stop in a reverence and acknowledge, you're the King. I'm not just going to pass you by. I'm not going to keep doing what I'm doing. It deserves a pause. You are the King of the universe. It's yours. That is such a different concept. I want that in our lives. I want to walk in His ways. I want to know that I was especially drafted for a purpose by God. And then I want Him to be praised in my life constantly because I recognize everything that comes into my life comes only by permission of the King. 
That means if you cut off a piece of your hand, you can praise Him that it was not your whole arm and see something good in it. It means no matter what happens, whether life or death, you have learned the secret to being content in any and every situation. He's the King and He's in control. Now, say that. But can you believe it enough to That's the question. We long on profession and short on performance. We say it. Oh, I believe the Lord will provide. How many hours did you spend worried about your visa bill? Follow me? I want to praise Him in every area. And the best way to praise Him is acknowledge His kingship, His lordship. Psalm 42 is where David says over and over and over, Why are you so downcast? Acknowledge the Lord. He's speaking to himself. David's having a little schizophrenic conversation with his flesh. But you know what I like about it? Number one, it acknowledges the struggle. Number two, it shows who's in control. David refused to let his flesh control his spirit. I can go ahead and acknowledge some days I feel melancholy, some more than others. Some events bring it on. Sometimes, maybe it's the weather, I don't know. They don't usually talk about it with men, but I suspect that in some cases it's hormonal changes. That goes on in all human beings. We live quite the chemical existence. And yet I will not be a slave to anything in my flesh. I will take authority over it like the Word says. We're going to close with this verse. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. Yeah, I tricked you, didn't I, Craig? Craig put up that Bible. Fool, backing away from the table. I love you, brother. I'm just teasing. I knew you had Thessalonians memorized. You're going to love this. What a long, eloquent, beautiful statement this is. little too long to commit to memory. Certainly too eloquent for us to be able to repeat it. Quote it. Be joyful always. Golly. You talk about put the pen to the paper and the pen being mightier than the sword. I'd rather you stick me through the forehead with a sword than to know that that's an absolute imperative statement. Now, we got teachers watching, so I have to be careful I do this right. Y'all forgive me for teasing you. Statement an imperial command. It gets a period after it, and every once in a while an explanation point because there is no room for reinterpretation. This is simply a direct command. Nothing else in there to distract you. Be joyful always. Pray continually, he says. Give thanks in all circumstances. We're going to have a day of thanksgiving. Whoopee. Look, I'll have fun frying turkeys like everybody else. If you bake your... Sorry. Nobody should be forced to eat a dry bird. But what we really need to do is learn to be thankful in all circumstances. This honors the King of the universe. We need to realize just how special it is that we were chosen. The Israelites were taught to tell their children, we were wandering Armenians when God found us. You know, we were slaves in Egypt when God delivered us. They were taught that. They were taught that what God wanted from them was in all of their ways to acknowledge Him. And the statement that stands out most in Old and New Testament is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. 
that's to walk like God walked. I want to do that. I don't want Thanksgiving to be an event this year. I want it to be a lifestyle that I adopt. Don't want it to be a New Year's resolution. Let's start today. Y'all love me? I certainly love you. Stand up and let's pray. And when we pray, get your kavana right. That's the inward direction of your heart. Don't think about lubies. Don't think about where you have to go or what you have to do. Spend just a moment. We sing the song, we bless your name. You give and take away, we bless your name. Let's develop attitudes that do that. And let's make this gospel attractive through the life that we live, that others will see it and take note. Those men have been with Jesus. They can take note of so many things. Eric didn't shave today. He didn't wear a suit, you know. His kids got weird Bible names. Whatever it is. His wife's too pretty for him. There we go. Whatever it is that they take notice of. But in the end, what I want them to remember is that guy's been with Jesus. And it shows up in his life. You know, they can say whatever they say about you, but I want them to take note that you've been with Jesus. Let's pray.